Chapter One of Little Meg's Children. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fiddlesticks. Little Meg's Children by Hesba Stretton. Chapter One. Motherless. In the east end of London, more than a mile from St. Paul's Cathedral, and lying near to the docks there is a tangled knot of narrow streets and lanes crossing and running into one another with blind alleys and courts leading out of them and low-arched passages and dark gullies and unsuspected slums hiding away at the back of the narrowest streets forming altogether such a labyrinth of roads and dwellings that one needs a guide to thread away among them as upon pathless solitudes or deserts of shifting sands in the wider streets it is possible for two conveyances to pass each other for in some of them towards the middle of their length a sweeping curve is taken out of the causeway on each side to allow of this being done but in the smaller and closer streets there is room spared only for the passage to and fro of single carts while here and there may be found an alley so narrow that the neighbours can shake hands if they would from opposite windows many of the houses are three or four stories with walls inside and out dingy and grimed with smoke and with windows that scarcely admit even the gloomy light which finds a way through the thick atmosphere and down between the high close buildings a few years ago in one of these dismal streets there stood a still more dismal yard bearing the name of angel court as if there yet lingered among those grimy homes and their squalid occupants some memories of a brighter place and of happier creatures angel court was about nine feet wide and contained ten or twelve houses on each side with one dwelling at the further end blocking up the thoroughfare and commanding a view down the close stone-paved yard with its interlacing rows of clothes-lines stretched from window to window upon which hung the yellow half-washed rags of the inhabitants this end house was three stories high without counting a raised roof of red tiles forming two attics the number of rooms in all being eight each one of which was held by a separate family as were most of the other rooms in the court to possess two apartments was almost an undreamed-of luxury there was certainly an advantage in living in the attics of the end house in angel court for the air was a trifle purer there and the light clearer than in the stories below from the small windows might be seen the prospect not only of the narrow court but of a vast extent of roofs with a church spire here and there and the glow of the sky behind them when the sun was setting in a thick purplish cloud of smoke and fog there was greater quiet also and more privacy up in the attics than beneath where all day long people were trampling up and down the stairs and past the doors of their neighbours rooms the steep staircase ended in a steeper ladder leading up to the attics and very few cared to climb up and down it it was perhaps for these reasons that the wife of a sailor who had gone to sea eight months before had chosen to leave a room lower down for which he had paid the rent in advance in order to mount into higher and quieter quarters with her three children whatever may have been her reason it is certain that the sailor's wife who had been ailing before her husband's departure had for some weeks past been unable to descend the steep ladder into the maze of busy streets to buy the articles necessary for her little household and that she had steadily refused all aid from her neighbours who soon left off pressing it upon her the only nurse she had and the only person to whom she would entrust her errands was her eldest child a small spare stunted girl of london growth 
whose age could not be more than ten years though she wore the shrewd anxious air of a woman upon her face with deep lines wrinkling her forehead and puckering about her keen eyes her small bony hands were hard with work and when she trod to and fro about the crowded room from the bedside to the fireplace or from the crazy window to the creaking door which let the cold draughts blow in upon the ailing mother her step was slow and silent less like that of a child than of a woman who was already weary with much labour the room itself was not large enough to cause a great deal of work but little meg had had many nights of watch lately and her eyes were heavy for want of sleep with the dark circles underneath them growing darker every day the evening had drawn in but meg's mother her head propped up with anything that could be made into a pillow had watched the last glow of the light behind the chimneys and the church spires and then she turned herself feebly towards the glimmer of a handful of coals burning in the grate beside which her little daughter was undressing a baby twelve months old and hushing it to sleep in her arms another child had been put to bed already upon a rude mattress in the corner of the room where she could not see him but she watched meg intently with a strange light in her dim eyes when the baby was asleep at last and lay down on the mattress upon the floor the girl went softly back to the fire and stood for a minute or two looking thoughtfully at the red embers little meg said her mother in a low yet shrill voice meg stole across with a quiet step to the bedside and fastened her eyes earnestly upon her mother's face do you know i'm going to die soon asked the mother yes said meg and said no more father will be home soon continued her mother and i want you to take care of the children till he comes i've settled with mr grigg downstairs as nobody shall meddle with you till father comes back but meg you've got to take care of that your own self you've nothing to do with nobody and let nobody have nothing to do with you they're a bad crew downstairs a very bad crew don't you ever let any one of em come across the doorstep meg could you keep a secret yes i could said meg i think you could answered her mother and i'll tell you why you mustn't have nothing to do with the crew downstairs meg pulled a big box from under the bed the box lay far back where it was well hidden by the bed but by dint of hard pulling meg dragged it out and the sailor's wife gave her the key from under her pillow when the lid was opened the eyes of the dying woman rested with interest and longing upon the faded finery it contained the bright-coloured shawl and showy dress and velvet bonnet which she used to put on when she went to meet her husband on his return from sea meg lifted them out carefully one by one and laid them on the bed smoothing out the creases fondly there were her own best clothes too and the children's the baby's nankeen coat and robin's blue cap which never saw the light except when father was at home she had nearly emptied the box when she came upon a small but heavy packet that's the secret meg said her mother in a cautious whisper that's forty gold sovereigns as doesn't belong to me nor father neither but to one of his mates as left it with him for safety i couldn't die easy if i thought it wouldn't be safe they'd go rooting about everywhere but meg you must never never let anybody come into this room till father's at home i never will mother said meg that's partly why i moved up here she continued why they'd murder you all if they couldn't get the money without always keep the door locked whether you're in or out and meg dear 
I've made you a little bag to wear round your neck, to keep the key of the box in, and all the money I've got left. It'll be enough till father comes, and if anybody meddles and asks you when he's coming, be sure to say you expect him home to-day or to-morrow. He'll be here in four weeks, on Robin's birthday, maybe. Do you know all you've got to do, little Meg? Yes, she answered. I'm to take care of the children and the money as belongs to one of father's mates, and I must wear the little bag round my neck and always keep the door locked and tell folks I expect father home to-day or to-morrow, and never let anybody come into our room. That's right, murmured the dying woman. Meg, I've settled all about my burial with the undertaker and Mr. Grigg downstairs, and you'll have nothing to do but stay here till they take me away. If you like, you and Robin and Baby may walk after me, but be sure see everybody out and lock the door safe afore you start. She lay silent for some minutes, touching one after another of the clothes spread upon the bed, as Meg replaced them in the box, and then, locking it up, put the key into the bag and hung it round her neck. Little Meg, said her mother, do you remember one Sunday evening us hearing a sermon preached in the streets? Yes, mother answered meg promptly what was it he said so often she whispered you learnt the verse once at school i know it still said meg if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him ay that's it she said faintly and he said we needn't wait to be god's children but we were to ask him for good things at once because he had sent his own son to be our saviour and to die for us them that take him them that ask him he said it over and over again eh but i've asked him a hundred times to let me live till father comes home or to let me take baby along with me maybe that isn't a good thing said meg god knows what are good things the dying mother pondered over these words for some time until a feeble smile played upon her wan face it'd be a good thing anyhow she said to ask him to forgive me my sins and take me to heaven when i die wouldn't it meg yes that's sure to be a good thing answered meg thoughtfully then i'll ask him for that all night said her mother and to be sure take care of you all till father comes back that'd be another good thing she turned her face round to the wall with a deep sigh and closed her eyelids but her lips kept moving silently from time to time meg cried softly to herself in her chair before the fire but presently she dozed a little for very heaviness of heart and dreamed that her father's ship was come into dock and she and her mother and the children were going down the dingy streets to meet him she awoke with a start and creeping gently to her mother's side laid her warm little hand upon hers it was deadly cold with a chill such as little meg had never before felt and when her mother neither moved nor spoke in answer to her repeated cries she knew that she was dead End of chapter one